Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Welcome to Frau Pow, where your hosts, Autumn Rags. So I'm extremely excited about our interview this week. Um, I might have started crying, and luckily the person wasn't in the studio to see me crying like an idiot. Um, but we are interviewing Hannah Witten, um, who is an online content creator. So she makes videos um, for mostly YouTube, and um, they're about taboo topics like sex and chronic illness. Um, she's also an author. She has um, one book out right now called Doing It, which is about sex and relationships, which is also the title of her new podcast that's coming out. Um, and then she has a new book called The Hormone Diaries, which is a companion book for anyone with periods. And that is coming out on June 13th. So be sure to check all of that wonderful, amazing content out. Um, easy. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm Hannah. I'm 27. I live in London. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a YouTuber and an author. I talk a lot about uh, sex and relationships and, and also like chronic illness and disability kind of since having a bit of a issue last year. <laughs> um, what was, what happened? Um, so I have ulcerative colitis, which is a form of inflammatory bowel disease. I feel like um, I'm about to say some really like traumatic stuff that happened to me, but I've spoken about it so much. It's going to be like, and then this, and then this, and then this. Um, and it's going to sound like I have no emotion about it whatsoever. No, I you're do. in the right place. <laughs> I mean, at least on the, like, the poop part, we talk about bowels and poop very frequently. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And oh my, my God, partner has Crohn's. So. Oh, yeah. Rags's partner has Crohn's. Oh yes, yeah. So they're basically like in the same family. Um, yes. But yeah, so I've had I've had colitis since I was like seven, and had you know like multiple flare ups as a kid and a teenager, and then had a ten year remission between fifteen and twenty five, which was awesome. And then nice. just one completely came out of the blue, knocked me sideways, um, and I had to have emergency surgery, and now I have a stoma bag. Oh, really? Yeah. How, 10 like, years of nothing. And then it was like all at once. <laughs> We're just like, ha, ha, ha. How did the remission come about? Like, was it just something that you did right for once or? From when I was 15. Yeah. There was yes. just, so there was, um, so what year would that have been when I was 15? It would have been 2007. And they'd just started like, I think that was when they just figured out that it was an autoimmune disease. I like, because I remember when I was a kid, they were like, we have no idea what causes this. And we're going to give you some anti-inflammatories and we're going to give you some steroids, which obviously is still part of the treatment. But when I was 15, that was the first time they tried me on like this infusion called infliximab. And that just nipped in the bud. I was having like one of the worst flare ups ever. Um, and then that infusion just like was like, oh, wow, I'm better. And then they put me on immunosuppressants for the first time ever. And then that sent me into a 10-year remission. 
Hmm. So yeah. what kind of, do you know what caused the end of that remission? No, I don't. Um, I have my own theory, um, which is that I, so I got the Marina coil put in and it was like, after getting the coil put in, all of these symptoms started happening. Um, mm. and I didn't, I didn't like think about it for ages because, because I had just got the coil put in. So I just thought these pains that I was having were related to that. And then they got worse and worse. And I was like, actually, do you know what? These are not in my uterus. These pains are in a different place. <laughs> um, but every time mm -hmm. I've spoken to doctors where I've been like, I think it was the coil. They're like, there's no correlation between IBD and contraception. And I'm like, but there is a correlation surely between putting a foreign object in your body and that um, triggering your immune system. Surely. But yeah. no, no doctor, ha oh, there's no research into it. So I'm just kind of like, cool. All right. <laughs> well, because it's also like, oh, like women's reproductive organs or like just like the uterus and ovaries in general, I feel like are super under-researched. Yes. Um, yeah. I am someone who has like, so until recently I didn't know it was wrong, but um, I've had like really intense like digestive symptoms of some something and mm. they didn't know what it was. And um, I, and it gets worse around my period. Um, oh like significantly worse. Like I go up like three pant sizes because my belly is so swollen. Um, and like no one was making the connection besides me. And then like one doctor that I'm now seeing. And she, she's the first one to believe me. Mm -hmm. So what, what was it then? Uh, so basically it, it's um, a combination of different things. One I'm on, I have been on long-term anti-anxiety medication so they think that might have something to do with um the level of serotonin my body's producing and it's just messing up my gut gut flora because most uh. of your serotonin is produced in your digestive system what and then, oh my god yeah 90 percent. so you're actually your digestive system the nervous system that's there is almost autonomous from your central nervous system yeah so and serotonin that's like is that like the happy Feeling? Yes. Yeah, it's one of the yeah, it's one of them. It's that and dopamine. So mine yeah. the one that I don't make enough of is serotonin. And um uh yeah, so I've been on this anxiety medication. So they think that's messing with it. And then mm -hmm. something has happened and they think mine also might have to do I had the we have a copper IUD. Yeah. And so they think it yeah, might Yeah, we've be, got those as well. Yeah, they think oh. that might have like done something. And so I basically had pre- Small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Like they caught it before it got really bad. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And yeah. A lot of people have experiences where it's not listened to. And by the time someone does, they're like, oh, oh whoops. Yep. yep. Um, interestingly enough, um, I my partner told me about this recent study that she came across um, in which your gut bacteria or lack thereof affects your mood. In yeah, so much that they found that the lack of gut bacteria can actually create worse symptoms of depression and anxiety. Yeah, because um, that's where all your like, yeah, I don't know made. the like specifics of that stuff, but I know like loads of people are, I don't know, learning about the gut is kind of quite zeitgeisty, I feel like right now. But I remember <laughs> when I was about 12 years old and I was having a flare up, my, my doctor said to me, they were like, 
Do you um, talk about your feelings with your friends and like share stuff that's going on? Or do you kind of like bottle it all up? And at that age, I was like, oh, I bottle it all up. Like I literally do not tell anyone anything. Um, and then and mm-hmm. the doctor was just like, well, you might want to try like offloading some of that because he said that like stress could have potentially cause a flare up. And also mm-hmm. about how like when you're a little fetus developing, like you're a little bit of your brain, like down your spinal cord and into your gut. And so our, our gut brain is like this primitive brain that's like me hungry, me scared, me, me like me fancy that person. Like it's, <laughs> it's like really just like caveman brain. Um, and yeah, and so do- literally my doctor ordered me to start opening up more. <laughs> start talking about your feelings. Yeah, and now it's my job. <laughs> um, I think that is like... A great segue to my one of my questions. It, um, so, you know, having this sudden flare up and having to have this dramatic change in your life mm. so suddenly, um, how has that changed how you navigate the world? So, like physically, emotionally, how has that changed from your surgery? I think well, whilst I was in recovery, um. Every I just had to be like more careful with everything. Everything was more slow. I had to, um, I don't know. I'm I'm normally a very busy workaholic kind of person, and so I had to like force myself to be like, "You're gonna relax now. Like you're in recovery. You're gonna do nothing." Like for a good, for a good maybe like. 10, 10 months of last year, unless there was a specific thing that I had to do the next day, I would not set an alarm like that entire time. Like I was wow. just letting my body sleep for as long as it needed to. <laughs> so it That's was just kind of important. Lesson, yeah. yeah. It was a lesson in slowing down. Definitely. Well, as like, you know, because you're auto, you have an autoimmune, you kind of actually really need that sleep mm. and giving your body that opportunity to rest. Yeah. And because of the surgeries of- as well, um, right. yeah. like you do most of your healing in your sleep as well. So my body would just right. be like piecing itself back together. <laughs> right. Well, like because of your autoimmune, your, your, your recovery rate is decreased already. Yeah. And so like it's, Everybody needs to sleep because that's where your healing period takes place. But on top of that, like you most definitely needed to sleep because your body needed that extra boost. Mm-hmm. I know I didn't do that after my surgery. So I um I got sort of I got a breast reduction surgery, which also sort of ended up being like slightly preventative because my I had really dense large breasts and um after my surgery I'm really bad at resting <laughs> um and they're like you need to not go to work for like two weeks and I only spent one week at home and I mm-hmm. was gonna, I remember this yeah I was gonna go crazy yeah. does your work well, like require you to lift your arms up a lot <laughs> no I mean fortunately um my job is has to I'll it's mostly like computer I do uh program evaluation so as long as you can so, get your arms lifted enough to touch a keyboard you're fine <laughs> yeah no exactly but the problem was was with commuting so I commute from New Jersey to New York City on public transportation Ooh. and people don't understand um yeah you need like a big sign on you being like I am fragile so like when I mm-hmm. started going out in public by myself after surgery like I had a walking stick with me 
Um, like one, because I, I needed it to steady myself and to be able to walk. Cause when you get your core sliced in half, like there are so many like normal activities that are really difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I, I very much was using it as a sign to other people to be like, do not touch me. Do not come near me. I am weak. I'm fragile. Yeah, no, exactly. And I had these, um, so instead of like drains, they put in these like crazy battery packs, what? which like, I guess like pressurized my I chest. looked like a cyborg for I a few did. weeks. I did. I looked like a cyborg. <laughs> and um, and so I had these like packs like taped to me and they just like flashed a little bit. And when someone wouldn't move because, you know, New Yorkers and people in New Jersey are not the nicest yeah. folks. Same in London. Um, <laughs> yeah. I like it's it's a battle every morning. I would like lift my shirt up and be like, I just had surgery. Let me sit down. Yeah. Wow, that's well, so, I, fu- so you would like actually show them because. I always thought like once I got to the point where I still kind of needed to be able to sit down, like I still needed that, but actually having the walking stick was more annoying than it was helpful. Um, I would, I would carry around, like you can get these, like, please give me a seat badges and stuff from Mm -hmm. the London underground. And I always Hmm. have these like scenarios playing through in my head where someone challenges me because they're like, you don't look disabled. Why? Why do you need to sit down? And mm-hmm. I would just like flash them my bag and my scar, just be like, look. But ne- I never <laughs> had to. But, but I just, I have I, I have it running through my head as well whenever I'm using like an accessible toilet and someone mm-hmm. maybe challenging me on that. Again, hasn't happened yet, but. Oh, see, I think in New York, people are more apt to like challenge you just because yeah. they're like selfish and assholes. Um well, my partner doesn't want to use public transport. One of the reasons why we don't like to come into the city, aside from our anxiety of wanting to be introverts in the middle of the woods, <laughs> is the public transportation issue where, like, you can get stuck in a tunnel because of whatever reason. And my partner with Crohn's doesn't know when a flare-up is going to happen where she's going to need to use a bathroom. Ooh, and yeah. she can't stand for long periods of time because that creates a flare. So like she can't always guarantee a seat. She can't always guarantee access to a restroom. And so like we don't come to the city often a lot because of accessibility. Well, if you guys come with me, I'll fuck people up. Well, (laughs) you know, it's interesting that you talked about the cane because she was thinking of getting the cane for like her back issues and everything. But, you know, it's. It's interesting Just that you New said York that, like, it kind of became a nuisance. Like, because we have the baby on board badges that pregnant people wear, and then there's like the it just says, "Please give me a seat," and they're and they're free, and you don't even have to like prove you don't have to prove what your issue is in order to get one. You just say, "Hey, I need one," and they send you one. New Yorkers don't give a fuck, <laughs> even if you're pregnant, like visibly pregnant. I've seen people blatantly ignore, yeah, like pregnant people. Mm-hmm. And I also think like the culture that you have in the UK is way different than the culture we have in New York We're City. Just super like polite, <laughs> yes, you guys run on politeness, and we run on spite. <laughs> it's like all Hunger Games all the time. Yes, and that's not to say that like. New Yorkers aren't nice, but you have to get through like that hard exterior first. You have to yell at them first and they're like, oh, okay. They, you have yeah. to get them to respect you first. <laughs> yeah. you, basically, you have to guilt trip every single one of them. And that's a lot of work. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> It's just added emotional labor. <laughs> yes, for sure. Um, so anyway. <laughs> um, so how did you end up getting into uh, being on YouTube? It was many years ago. Um, 
I was 19 and I was like a big fan of a lot of YouTubers and would just watch so many videos. And I realized that they were all like friends with each other. And there was this like really lovely community online. And I thought, I want to be a part of that. How do I be friends with them? And I was like, well, they're all friends with other people who make videos. So I'm going to make videos. (laughs) That was my plan. And it worked. (laughs) Yeah, you've been fairly successful. I'm like, I'm very proud of you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. You know, set my mind to something. I'm going to be friends with these people. (laughs) I want to join the community. Let me have fun too. (laughs) And then how did, so how did you decide on like focusing mostly on like sex ed issues? Yeah, I'd, I'd been making videos for a while before I started doing that kind of content. And it was, it came out of like, I watched, um, like sex ed videos on YouTube. That was basically where I got all of my like adult sex ed from was the internet. Um, and <laughs> it was something that I, I don't know when it kind of happened, like in my late late teens, um, I just knew that it was something that I was passionate about and like comfortable speaking mm-hmm. on. And I also realized that there was a real need for it and that like sex ed in school and from parents can be, terrible um mm-hmm. and yeah and then, and also at that point I'd sort of grown like a very small moderate audience on YouTube and could see that they were mostly young women mm-hmm. um and was like I want to do this great power comes great responsibility <laughs> I think that's really cool because um I think uh, so I originally started out in um, social work in doing a lot of work around gender-based violence ah. for similar reasons um, because I have um, a lot of friends and peers who experience even just like micro versions of gender-based violence. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately now it's even more important and relevant, especially in the United States, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, I yeah, I... I definitely see that. And I'm glad that that's something that worked out for you. Um, Cause I do, I think it's really important. Um, I know f- for myself, I grew up in the South, Ooh. which means that, yeah, they basically just told us abstinence only or you'll die. It is wild to me that it is still, it's legal in so many yeah. states to have abstinence yeah. only education. I'm like, Absolutely, I'm like, it's research. It's like you know the research shows that that is not helpful. Yeah, and like we had plenty of kids in my high school um, get pregnant or have to leave because of pregnancy, and so um, like you would figure that, that you might want to start talking about condoms and birth control. But even so, in my home state, the way that our insurance works, they wouldn't cover birth control. Um, I think until like after I left for college. Oh, wow. Uh, Yeah. So like I would have had to go to another state in order to get affordable birth control, which is crazy. What state is this? Florida. Woo. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we have a we have a following for a reason. Full (laughs) of crazy people. Um, But yeah, it's. um, Yeah, it's really interesting. And I think it's so I really like that people young people now like our age and younger who are feeling brave enough to talk about these topics and like ask questions to the world Mm. and like exchange their experiences versus like when I was 
like going starting to go through puberty, my mom just like handed me a book about periods. You know, like I had no I had no idea about like sex or any like any yeah. other like forms of sex. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I feel like my everyone mom got said, handed a book at some point. Mine was called "Let's yeah, Talk About I Where Babies it. Come From." Oh, yeah, I did it. But I also grew up in New York State, which is vastly different than the state of Florida. Yeah. So we actually had a pretty good sex education. Um, well, the, they saw they still taught creationism in yes. my biology class. So, so we actually biology. put a condom on. Wow. Yeah, it was it was an option. Like this is one of the ideas of how life got created. Oh, my God. So tough. <gasps> but yeah, so like to give it like a very contrasting experience growing up in New York City, New York City. Oh, my God. New York State. Um, we learned about evolution and biology. We learned how to <laughs> number put a, one. Number one. We learned how to put a condom on a banana. We learned how to put a condom on Mr. Woody. Um, we <laughs> Is learned that a fake penis or a piece of wood? It's a piece of wood, like a dowel. Okay. Um, I heard somewhere, I don't know if this is like across the United States or in certain states where it's like illegal to do demonstrations of Condoms mm-hmm. yeah, on t- either like dildos or on anything phallic. I don't know. I just yeah. remember seeing In this Florida. video of a teacher Bible belt. Um, show it like sh- putting a sock on his foot yep. and showing students being like, so this is how you put a sock on. And it was like basically all of the tips that you needed for how to put a condom on correctly. And I was like, this yeah. is brilliant. Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, it's so it's definitely illegal in Florida. And now we actually have a teammate who teaches at a Catholic school um, who's not allowed to do demonstrations with phallic objects as well. Right. Whereas we also learned how to put finger condoms on in high school. I've no idea that I've those got, existed. I've until got college. finger condoms now because um, I have to put suppositories up my bum every night because um, I'm oh, getting right. some inflammation in my rectum. And with the medication came some finger condoms. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. wow, this is amazing. So Kate, <laughs> our producer, is like, what's a finger condom? Um, a finger condom is literally a condom the, so- like, the, size the of width finger. of your finger. Yeah. yeah, and it literally, it rolls onto your finger and it, it hugs. So this way, if you want to do anything naughty with your fingers, you have proper protection. Yeah. A lot of people because if you use freshly- like, glove, like latex gloves. Right. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like a thigh high for your hand so it just only goes on your finger <laughs> it's it's like because you know like one of the things that they say about like if you're gonna do any sort of intercourse with your fingers um if like you freshly cut your nails like you don't want to do anything especially if it's something that's anal so like you put a finger condom on yeah if you've got like cuts around your fingers yeah but like i learned this sophomore year of high school because like i grew up in the north are you ready to shop Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. 
But I think this is a really good segue for us to talk about your new book. Yeah. So what is your new book about? What's it called? It's called The Hormone Diaries, um, The Bloody Truth About Our Periods. And it is everything to do with periods and contraception and all of these fun conversations that we've been having already. Um, Yeah, it basically started because I have a web series on my channel called The Hormone Diaries where, um, you know, how I was saying I didn't have a period for seven years. I decided to come off the pill and basically document my experience of bodily mind changes and stuff Mm -hmm. and like learning about different options. Because before that, I was just like, I was 17. The doctor gave me this pill and that's all I've ever known. Um, Yeah. And then it became this series and then lots of other people started sharing their own experiences. And now it's a book. Um, So I am very intrigued about this because again, like I learned about a, you know, your periods from like a little handout that my mom gave me. Um, But so like, do you, what sorts of like information about periods or what types of people um, do you include in your book? Yeah. So there's literally everything. It's like just a companion for like anyone who bleeds really. Um, It's got a lot of just the general info that you need stuff about different kinds of period products. Um, and, and like I was kind of saying before, like kind of like the history of the pill and there's even been new regulations that got brought into the UK recently where it's like, Oh, you don't actually have to have the like week break if you're taking the combined pill that's got estrogen in it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, what? This is, they're like, what do you mean? I don't have to bleed on this. Um, and yeah, that stuff is all in there. And then with um, people who are in it, I basically asked for contributions. So because it's the hormone diaries, I asked people to write in like diary entries or letters. That's like, dear my period, dear my pill, dear my PCOS, dear my um, coil. And, and like write these letters. And some are really uh, heartbreaking <laughs> and some are really funny it's a it's a it's a lot um and uh what was the most surprising thing that you found out while you were writing your book oh good question I really should like think about answers to these um <laughs> <laughs> I think so one of the interesting things that kind of like came out as a big news story whilst I was writing was like about how you don't actually have to have this week break to have a withdrawal plead on the period and how a lot of that reasoning was because of the Catholic church and how Mm. it wasn't seen. It was, it was just like, this is what's um, natural. And I don't know, it was like to appease the Catholic church and stuff. And, and again, like with the, um, the male contraceptive trials is is more complicated than that and we but we can we can we can still blame the catholic church always but but with with that little asterisk of like and some other people and institutions but we but included in that is the catholic church um always blame the catholic church one of the other things that i learned whilst writing this book was you know this whole like not debate necessarily, but this whole conversation at the moment of like what's natural, like a lot of people are forgoing their hormonal 
option to like either get the copper coil, which is Mm non-hormonal or just to like use fertility awareness or to not, um, or, or maybe their like partner doesn't have a penis. So you're like, I'm all great here. Don't need to worry. Um, and there's, so there's like big movement at the moment to be like, no, I'm going to let my body like do the natural thing, which, you know, Mm -hmm. I was a hundred percent a part of that was like what the hormone diaries was based off at the beginning. Um, but one of the things I was learning about is actually what is natural. I'm just mm. pret- pretend every time I'm saying natural, I'm using like like air quotes. Um, like what is natural for our bodies, and and so for like some of these people, it's like what's natural is bleeding every month. However, our generation is having so many more periods now than previous generations. Like even as much as our grandparents, but specifically like our ancestors or you know like the the people that we would look to to be like what is natural like before we put all of these artificial hormones in our bodies and if you had a uterus what was natural was you started your period when you were like 11 12 years old Mm -hmm. and then you got married and then you got pregnant and then you breastfed and then rinse and repeat until menopause and so actually people were having way less periods then than we are now because now Mm -hmm. periods are starting earlier and we're having children later Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. very true and i I was just like whoa so what is natural is either either actually being pregnant and breastfeeding constantly or putting artificial hormones in my body to trick my body into thinking it's pregnant constantly (laughs) so then i don't bleed yeah it's, really it's interesting. interesting. It depends like which side you want to come down on. What's natural, bleeding all the time or bleeding never because you're pregnant all the time? Mm-hmm. True. See, I I would think that it's natural to just bleed every 28 days. But like you are right to say that like we throughout history, uterus people tended to bear children like all yeah. the time because yeah, of yeah. infant mortality. Um, healthcare. Y- healthcare. You know, the whole nine yards. Like, you, yeah. It was probably more rare that you would spend like a significant amount of time when you're either not pregnant or not breastfeeding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I found really interesting. I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And like, yeah, people are starting their periods much younger now, mm-hmm. like as young as like eight or nine. What? Yeah. 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 Because um, it's kind of linked to um, weight as well. So like um, if you're... Um, like the more fat you have in your body, the more estrogen you produce. And estrogen is like what triggers your period to start. So if children are bigger, then they'll start their period um, earlier. Um, Like the skinny kid who's like super into sports and is like really active, they'll probably start Mm -hmm. their period a bit later. Yeah, because I started mine in seventh grade. So I think I was... Me too. Oh, 11. Yeah. yeah. And I've always I been super into- I was 11 too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was always super into sports and depending on like the season that I was in, which this could be why I didn't always have a normal period. And this is one of the things that we did look into before using the birth control was the fact that like I'm always doing a sport. So uh-huh. depending on how involved in the sport I am my periods would definitely lighten up yeah. and lessen. Yeah, because most, like, a lot of professional athletes don't have periods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. who are adults. Which um, is also Because their body is in a state where it it can't. 
Right. Right. But it's it's also interesting because um I've been doing like some well, we've been doing a lot of reading with like trans athletes and everything. Mm. Um and like the whole debate about like whether or not like trans athletes are allowed to win. And like their whole like argument is the testosterone levels, but a lot of cis women who are athletes also have higher testosterone levels, which is probably why they don't bleed as often. Yeah. So a lot of cis athletic women are less likely to be werewolves because they don't go by the lunar calendar. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, where's she going with this? Okay. No, my my partner and I have this joke that like women are basically werewolves because we go by the lunar calendar. And every 28 days, like supposedly on average, every 28 days, you bleed, so to speak. And that's the lunar calendars every 28 days. Yeah. So we're werewolves, the, essentially. The tides of water and blood flowing in your body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and basically. Then we build a red tent. Yes. Yeah. And then we go rip out men's throats. <laughs> I mean, yeah. typically, yeah, on a good day. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's that's my analogy. We're werewolves sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> and artificial hormones has allowed us to control control when we when we do or don't want to become a werewolf exactly. in theory in theory well so um as someone who worked with uh so i did a lot of work in with adolescents um about teen dating violence because i uh is becoming mm. more common because kids are you know just like kids are now hitting their periods earlier they're mm. also starting to date earlier yeah um i don't know if those are connected but or just like Watching be. too much television. Well, because I mean, it. I think if girls are going through puberty earlier, mm. I would imagine the boys are too. I, I imagine I that the triggers are know. a little bit different. Or I'm little, not because I I know that like with uh, girls it's to do with estrogen levels, and but with boys it's to do with testosterone. So I don't I don't know. I don't know about them. Someone else can write a book about the boys. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so they, um, so we were going into like middle schools and in New Jersey, um, as a part of the health curriculum for public schools, uh, they're mandated to teach about teen dating violence or healthy relationships mm-hmm. when they're in middle school. But, um, a lot of kids as they were getting older, they were a form of, um, control that was happening in relationships was around birth control. Yes, I remember hearing um, about this. So did you encounter any stories about that? No, no one sent in any stories um about that um in particular. But that's interesting. I like partners um pressuring another partner to like go on birth control. Yeah, or, or come off birth control or, or just off. like or, or withhold the birth control dosage for the day. Yeah, or oh, so also, it's them that's like the one with the access to it, right? Ooh, it's just that... any way to control because you know um, any type of interpersonal violence is just about power and control. So yeah, whatever that person can use to control the other, uh, and which is really interesting because we, like you said, um, you know, having um, contraceptives, oral contraceptives come out, it really empowered people who could get pregnant to say, like, I have control over this of when I um, am going to get pregnant or not Mm -hmm. for the most part. And um, but then now it's sort of like swinging back around and cis men are now finding another way to control people um, through birth control. And so, I mean, it also happens with like condoms as well. 
I think that's more common than like oral contraceptives. Like whether or not they wear a condom um, is like up to them, basically. It's also, there's also this term to like that um, basically describes the initiation of the initiation of sexual intercourse in which the the man or the penis bearing partner um, starts with a condom and takes it off yeah. before entry. Stealthing. Yeah. Stealthing. Yeah, called stealthing. Yes. yes. And which is, Rude. well, for one, the word to me like sounds like it's cool and like some kind of stu- superpower. Like, oh yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I a real good like stealther. A, and I'm like, mm, no, yeah. that's rape. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. And so like that's a, and it's happening, it's more common with like younger people because they haven't, um, you know, had the ex- like empowerment or experience, like social experience to say no or to stand up for themselves mm-hmm. um, in those types of relationships or know that that's like, that's an unhealthy behavior. Yeah. And one of the things that a lot of historians talk about in terms of like when the pill first came in and how like, oh, it liberated women, like you said, like they're in control of their reproductive future. Um, but one of the other things that it did, so like previously, um, when it came to like negotiating sex, um, someone could be like, no, sorry, I don't want to have sex because I don't want to get pregnant. But then if they were on the pill, the other person could be like, well, what are you worried about? You're on the pill, so you can't Mm. say no. Mm -hmm. Um, So it had this like flip effect of like, did it really liberate people or did it then actually, it, it, it stopped them using the fear of getting pregnant as an excuse to say no to sex. Cause we all know that it is really difficult to just go, no, I don't want to have sex with you. Mm-hmm. Like, like it's to me, it's ridiculous that that's what we're teaching teenagers being like, just say no. And it's like, what? We don't teach people to like, just say no. When someone that we don't want to hang out with asks us to hang out with them. Yeah. We say, just be politely tell them that you're busy. Or yep. that you can't make it. We never, we don't teach people how to say no in yeah. any context. Yes. Yes. I, I think what you said is also like kind of really British about just politely, you know. <laughs> I mean, but but so. even just like, I think with like, with girls. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to say yeah. no. It's even hard to say no when you're an adult, you know, mm-hmm. and like you feel like you're being pressured into something. Yeah. And um, also the, the ability to be able to say no. First, you have to recognize in yourself that this isn't something that you want. Yes. And there are so many different reasons why people might have sex, like right. uh, connection, pleasure, boredom, like it actually as some sort of like reciprocal Nego- like negotiated like situation so there's so there are all these different reasons why people might have sex um and why people might not not want to have sex right and so like unless you can actually tap into what's going on inside you of like wait am i comfortable here do i um want this whereas like if you're a bit younger you might be like oh this is normal and i should do mm-hmm. this for these reasons but without actually being able to tap into like if they really want to Yes. And if they can't figure out if they want to or not, then how are they going to say no? <laughs> um, so I want to just backtrack a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to talk to you a little bit. And maybe this was relevant to um, the Hormone Diaries. But do you – I want to talk a little bit about sexuality and disability. Uh-huh. Um, how – I guess how has that impacted your life personally? And how has that impacted your work? So – Personally, like definitely after 
surgery and and stuff with having like a massive scar and like this bag of poo I definitely took a knock to like my confidence and stuff and like with my partner I was like I need lots more reassurance now (laughs) um and oh in practical terms because of like I said about my core being cut in half and you need like your core muscles for like so many normal things like I couldn't orgasm for ages like I would get to like the brink and it would just like I just did not have I couldn't tense like there was nothing in my core to like allow me to like push myself over the edge and I was like oh my god I've lost the ability to orgasm but it came back phew Um, (laughs) but that was a whole thing and then just sex had to be oh it, it took a while until I was like even in a position where the idea of having like a penis inside me again was mm-hmm. a pleasurable idea because I was just like, why would I put anything inside me? Everything in that area is like sore and painful and fragile. I'm like, oh no. Um, and and then mentally, like I said, with the confidence stuff, and I think like just my libido is just like, it's not what it was. And like mm. that's that's fine. Libido changes for all sorts of reasons and over your lifetime. Um, but yeah, I'm like, oh, I think my libido is lower now than it was before um and then yeah with my work it's just like something that it's on the one hand I'm like it's a shame that people don't tend to care about things until it personally affects them yeah (laughs) um and I'm like yep that's what's happened with me (laughs) because now like a lot of my work is based around like disability and that intersection with sex and relationships as well just find it really Mm -hmm. interesting and do you uh talk about that like disability and periods or disability and like um sex in your new book that's coming out um so the hormone diaries because there's not like a huge amount about like sex in there there's Mm -hmm. a bit about period sex and obviously like with birth control and stuff like there's that link but yeah um but there is um a whole chapter on like lots of disorders and diseases and stuff that um you can get so there's a lot of stuff about like PCOS and endometriosis mm. mm-hmm. um and like vaginismus and stuff as well so there's a lot of that which is I guess that crossover um about like um like chronic illness mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. yeah yeah I so I I had an accident a few years ago where I fell and smashed like my teeth, my front teeth, um, Oof. in half basically. Um, I laugh every time you tell me this. I'm sorry. It's, I'm a terrible person. <laughs> yeah, it's was it's very it was very traumatic. Um, but yeah, I I mean even that I mean that's not a disability by any means, but even just that like small impact like had a small thing like had a huge impact on my like self confidence like in general, and so you know going forward, I became like really aware of my body and Mm. um, also just like anxiety. I think Mm -hmm. my anxiety disorder as well has like really impacted that part of my life. And I don't know, I just, it's always comforting to hear when people have similar experiences, even if it's not for the same reasons. Yeah. I think that's one thing that people don't really talk about is like, okay, yeah, like chronic health, like chronic illness, like a disability of being in a wheelchair or whatever. Like we see that and we're like, obviously that impacts your sex life. Yeah. Right. Um, but then I don't think people really talk about the mental side of their health and how that impacts 
their sex life because like, even depression people, and anxiety. Yeah. But I think also like people with disabilities are still like on the most part sexual beings. Right. No. Yeah. And I think I think we kind of forget that like people in wheelchairs are also sexual beings. Yes. Yeah. You know, because a lot of time people in wheelchairs get like infantilized. It's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. one or two. It's either infantilized or fetishized. Um, yeah. There's uh, <laughs> what's his name? I don't know. I'm sure you've heard of him. Uh, Shane Burkaw. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his is last he, name. Is his girlfriend called Hannah? Yes. I, yes. Oh my god! I just started watching them on YouTube. I've, I'm obsessed. I'm like, oh my god! I love them so much. Yeah. So they do this. They do this thing on YouTube. They do like these little videos, and they talk about like what it's like to have sex with somebody who's in a wheelchair. Yeah. And everything. And it's like the fact that they're doing this and putting themselves on the spot to kind of normalize these types of relationships. Is yeah. Because really awesome. whenever so. Some of the videos that I've watched of theirs, they they do this like really funny video where they're like different cuddling positions. <laughs> um, because whenever they're like asked a direct question about their sex life, they're like, we don't want to go into that. But all we'll say is that we can and it satisfies us both. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Like to you, because yeah. like pe I think people get particularly like nosy or um, mm -hmm. uh, curious being like, so how does it work? And it's like, right. well, unless you're the one I'm having sex with, it's kind of none of your business. <laughs> yeah. 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 I feel like anybody who is quote unquote atypical, people have those questions about whether it's like you're trans or non-binary or you're in a wheelchair. Yeah. Or they're like, tell me about your genitals and how they work. <laughs> and it's like, excuse um, me? Do you want to tell me about yours? What? <laughs> um, so uh, what is your new podcast called? So my new podcast is called Doing It, which is the same title as my first book. And it's like all about sex and dating and relationships. And it's I basically interview lots of different people, friends and experts about what they know and their experiences. I am into that. That sounds awesome. I'm really excited. I've basically recorded 15 interviews and I'm just like ready to like put them out in the world I'm like you guys need to hear from these people they're so good that's so fucking cool I I'm super into um really any podcast about like sex and relationships um we have one on our network called awkward sex in the city and oh, nice. it's um just like so fantastic I am super pumped I can't we wait to hear welcome your welcome to my vagina too oh yeah welcome to my vagina oh, that's brilliant that name um and give us a little plug about your book yeah, so The Hormone Diaries is out on the 13th of June. Um, it is all about periods and contraception, as we mentioned. And um, if you are in the States, you um, can get it on the book depository. The book depository ships worldwide. So that would be the best place to purchase. Wonderful. Um, and Hannah, from me personally, I this is like super surreal. I've been watching your videos for a few years and like, I just feel like we're best friends and you might not know it. <laughs> no, I love that. <laughs> um, this is what Odd does. They force themselves on you and make them your best friend. It's yeah. true. Um, That's how I've become so friends with I just, most people. I feel so it's all good. very honored that you um, were flexible enough to fit us in your schedule. I really, really appreciate it. And it's been like such a like gift that's really cheesy and corny, no, but, but like such a gift to have you on and i really really appreciate it oh thanks for inviting me on i'm, I'm so glad that we managed to get this day in finally <laughs> yeah, yeah.
Thanks for listening. We hope you guys enjoyed that as much as we did. Um, And you learned a lot. I certainly did. Um, And if you want to contact us and let us know how much you love us, our email is galpalpodcast at gmail.com. And if you're into social media, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at galpalpodcast. And send us cat pictures and hearts and love notes. And And pictures of guinea pigs. And guinea pigs. We do enjoy those. And most importantly... Don't be a... Oh, wait. <laughs> I was going to say... Uh, sorry. I realized that was, like, very misleading. It's like, wait, what are you trying to do? Super misleading. Um, and if you enjoy our podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a nice little reading review so we know what we're doing well. We love getting feedback from y'all. And most importantly, don't, don't be, be a dick. dick. <laughs>